Welcome to AM Best Audio. According to Swiss Re's latest Resilience Index Sigma, $1.8 trillion in annual insurance premiums is required to close global protection gaps for natural catastrophes, crop, mortality, and health insurance. Since 2018, that protection gap has grown cumulatively by 20%, reflecting rising demand for economic growth and inflation-related effects. I'm Lori Chortis for Ambest TV. And joining us now to discuss that and other findings from the latest Resilience Index Sigma is Thomas Holshoy. He's the Chief Economist Americas at Swiss Re Institute. Thomas, it's so wonderful to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to see you, Laurie, and thanks for having me. So Thomas, what is the current state of global economic and macroeconomic resilience, and what's driving that, and how does that compare to what we've seen in the prior year? So the, uh, our macro resilience index um, improved in 22, um, and um, based on uh, or backed by improvement of monetary policy, and um, if we if we look at uh, uh, this by advanced economies, it's strengthened by 12 uh, percent, and uh, but only to three percent in emerging economies. Um, it is now um, returned to pre-pandemic levels, uh, but still remains 15 percent uh, below the levels before the global financial crisis. Um, and then uh, if you look at, uh, again, between uh, the, the various regions, uh, emerging economies, um, they had a strong increase in their resilience uh, in, in 21, but uh, last year it was only uh, a very small uh, further improvement. The big driver is, is monetary policy, so there's the strong increase in interest rates uh, will give uh, the monetary authorities more leeway and ability to react um, in the future if uh, if there's uh, something uh, a crisis coming along and uh, policy action would be necessary um, but this uh, rapid monetary tightening on the other hand it's it's kind of a double-edged sword um, we also have seen that uh, it has uh, increased uh, financial stability risks and uh, also recession risks what countries are the most resilient and which are the least resilient and why? So Switzerland followed by Norway, Canada, Netherlands uh, are on top of our list for, for 22. And um, according to uh, to our index, um, the US ranks ninth here. And uh, these, um, all these countries gained a lot of uh, monetary resilience um, through uh, in 22 through increased interest rates. Uh, but their high ranking is also uh, backed by uh, structural fundamentals um, that we also include in, in this metric. And, uh, and these are um, the center or measure issues like financial market developments, uh, human capital, uh, labor market efficiency, and so on. So, um, and uh, these, these countries also rank relatively well in terms of uh, the, the uh, ability of governments uh, to um, react to uh, what we call the fiscal resilience. And then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, countries with the uh, rank lowest are emerging economies such as uh, Turkey, South Africa, and Brazil. Um, they have uh, depleted ability uh, to react with fiscal uh, policy, uh, and also their their uh, uh, structural fundamentals are are weaker. Um, Greece uh, also ranks uh, low on this on this scale. 
Can you tell us more about insurance resilience against major risks, such as mortality, health spending, and natural catastrophes, and why record high annual insurance premiums are needed to close global protection gaps for those perils, and what's driven the cumulative rise over the past five years? So with uh, the insurance resilience, we, we look at um, well, we measure how well households can withstand uh, external shocks. Yeah? And so these are financial shocks, and this can be um, a natural catastrophe, it can be the death of a breadwinner, it can be a catastrophic uh, uh, health expenditure from, from a big uh, illness or disease. Um, and, and then we also look at crop. Um, we combine this, uh, we, we look at um, what uh, protection is needed, what is available, and uh, we, we then play these against each other. And uh, the, the index um, shows uh, the relative ability to withstand. And uh, across these, uh, these four perils, we see that about 43% of uh, the protection needed um, is, uh, is still unprotected by insurance and, and other resources. And uh, so uh, the the gap between this, uh, what's needed and what's available, this is what we call the protection gap. And uh, as I mentioned, it's uh, increased um, up to 1.8 uh, trillion in 22. Um, and this has been a, a steady increase, an increase of uh, 20% over the, the last five years. Um, a lot of this is, is driven by economic development. Um, also recently, uh, the inflation surge was a big driver uh, for example, around property risks. Otherwise, if we if we look uh, at these individual uh, segments uh, areas, um, the the findings signal uh, a need for uh, more resilience or more in cover in, in uh, certain areas. Um, crop, uh, which is a new index, we uh, looked at this for the first time this year, um, shows <clears throat> that actually sixty uh, percent. Uh, of um, agro risks uh, or crop risks uh, remain uh, unprotected. The perils there are mostly um, natural uh, disasters or, or diseases. And um, this has been something, yeah, it has improved um, strongly over the last years, but still a large uh, gap remains. Uh, not dissimilar if you look at the, the large NATCAT um, uh, perils um, from, 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 from large disasters. 75% uh, of that risk remains unprotected uh, in, in uh, 2022. And uh, while there was improvements, there were improvements uh, in uh, mature economies, um, for the emerging economies, uh, a large part of the risk still, the largest majority of risk remain uninsured. And uh, in some, some countries, uh, actually, the, uh, this share even has gone down. Health has been an area of uh, strong improvement, uh, uh, living standards, uh, growth of the healthcare uh, systems, and we saw a lot of improvements there in emerging Asia, uh, but then also um, across uh, some of the, the mature economies. And overall, we, we have here uh, the, the highest level uh, of our index, um, and 78% uh, of, of those risks uh, we consider covered. And then uh, finally, um, the, uh, the other big uh, area of uh, of risk: death of a breadwinner, and um, yeah, uh, sustaining then the 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 financial uh, independence of, of a household. Um, there we have um, a, a level of uh, index level of around forty three percent. That means fifty seven percent of that risk uh, remains uh, unprotected. 
and uh, this mortality protection gap has uh, has widened to over 400 billion uh, last year. A lot of that was uh, driven by um, wage increases that uh, increase uh, that drive up the need for income replacement, and at the same time weakness of uh, of financial markets that decreased um, the financial assets. And also, social security systems uh, have not grown very strongly since the financial crisis. So what opportunities does the widening global protection gap create for insurers to fulfill their mandate as risk absorbers and also to improve their societal resilience? Well, this uh, 1.8 trillion protection gap uh, we measure in terms of, uh, they are translated in terms of premium equivalent. So, so that if uh, closing this um, this gap for the for the benefit of, um, of of the households uh, would translate in an equivalent uh, business opportunity, and just for comparison, this trans uh, this compares to a global overall insurance market of uh, 6.8 trillion. So it's, it's roughly a, a quarter of, um, of of the existing market um, that this um, <clears throat> this additional um, um, closing the gap would, uh, would translate. Uh, um, emerging uh, economies are the ones that uh, that are least resilient, and uh, and they would uh, they would benefit the most uh, from uh, from policies uh, that strengthen overall the government programs, but then also from uh, welfare pro- programs, uh, public health, uh, but then also strengthening insurance markets. Uh, uh, where uh, then the, the private take-up uh, and the private insurance would um, provide more protection against those perils. Despite record high premiums needed to close global protection gaps, has society's ability to absorb unexpected financial shocks improved, and why? Yeah, so if you look at the, the, the resilience index, which um, is, is a relative measure, we see that it's actually improved. So. Uh, protection need, protection available. Uh, these are um, these are economic variables uh, that typically increase along with with economic development, and uh, also but at different speeds, right? So uh, protection gaps um, they are growing in, in in dollar terms year by year, and four um, percent uh, from twenty one to twenty two. Um, but uh, they actually have been uh, growing at a lower pace uh, than um, available protection and uh, an insurance uh, a part of that. And, and insofar, um, we have seen that, uh, that the um, resilience index is improving um, and uh, that actually available protection has outpaced uh, the protection need and these protection gaps. So, Thomas, what are you now seeing around natural catastrophe resilience? And do most global exposures remain unprotected? Yes. So it's only one quarter of uh, global NAPCAD exposures that are uh, protected by uh, through insurance. Um, so even though the, the index uh, improved slightly, so the resilience uh, marginally went up, and uh, this indicates um, um, strong growth in insurance coverage, um, Long term and and also short term, uh, but primarily in the uh, in advanced markets, uh, in emerging economies, um, we um, we saw an improvement in emerging Asia, um, especially China, uh, but the the resilience was actually declining in emerging Europe and Latin America, and and overall, it's uh, in emerging economies, it's uh, it's ninety five percent of the risk that remains uninsured. So we see a huge uh, uh, gap. 
and a huge potential for um, uh, insurance um, to to catch up and and, and protect um, this uh, um, th th these perils here. So um, particularly, so we we see that particularly in these uh, in these markets, uh, often rapid economic development. Uh, drives up exposures. A lot of this happens in um, uh, in exposed coastal regions or on, on earthquake exposed uh, uh, areas, and uh, a lot of the the economic development is, is basically outpacing uh, the development of insurance uh, markets, uh, institutions, and, and and demand. So, what's needed to strengthen that resilience, and how can investing in loss prevention and expanding insurance coverage aid in that? Yeah, so it's a, a complex uh, a task, and uh, closing the protection gap can, uh, or the uh, improving resilience, uh, can needs to be addressed from two sides. So one is is managing and mitigating the risk, and and so there is uh, we we need to reduce or maintain or reduce the growth of uh, of these risk exposures. And um, and that uh, includes um, investments in uh, in the in this. Um, in the infrastructure, um, in, it, it, it includes um, investment in uh, in the agro sector and uh, in other areas where um, building standards, uh, safer buildings, protect against uh, earthquake, uh, flood protection. There's there's a there's a wide range of um, of loss mitigation um, that is um, reducing the risk uh, on, on the one hand. Um, and also makes uh, makes these these properties or these exposures more insured. So this is uh, it has has a double benefit. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, insurance we need uh, uh, insurance companies, uh, governments, uh, corporations uh, need to work together to to uh, increase the uptake uh, of insurance. And there's there's a whole uh, range of uh, of areas where um that that uh, they would benefit yeah? so if we can we can look at insurance products uh, they can uh, be more made more attractive uh, insurance companies uh, invest in in data uh, data analytics to to create uh, get a better understanding of risks uh, change the product design um, we can uh, make uh, uh, combined covers. There is the, the potential for bundled covers. There is uh, um, there's a lot of uh, different uh, areas where um, the the industry can um, the insurance industry can can approach and um, and increase the uh, the insurance take up uh, access uh, households or parts of the population that so far had no exposure uh, to insurance. Uh, Micro insurance is uh, is uh, another area of um, of relevance particularly for these emerging economies accessing new distribution channel digital distribution uh, some some of these uh, these themes uh, play a big role um, and then government plays a, a role through regulation making uh, facilitating the development of insurance the industry uh, or also facilitating the, uh, the development of uh, new product designs that may not fit or new distribution channels that may not fit in in a traditional setting uh, and so it's a, it's a it's a collaboration between industry um, and and government uh, many possible steps that uh, that would uh, facilitate and and uh, yeah encourage an uptick of insurance um, uh, coverage and purchase 
Expanding on what you just talked about, about the need to bolster and strengthen infrastructure, how are emerging markets increasing their investments into resilient infrastructure, real estate, and agriculture to adapt to natural catastrophes? And do you see those investments continuing in the coming years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the investments have been rising, uh, but but they, they remain quite low. Uh, so the, the Climate Policy Initiative uh, estimates that um, global adaptation spending in emerging economies has increased by some 30% in recent years, um, but that's still only one-seventh of what they estimate uh, that it's needed. And uh, and only 10% of, of, of these funds uh, go into the agriculture and infrastructure area. So um, a, lo- a lot of uh, underfunding in these areas. Um, a lot of uh, the, the sources of this funding, a lot of this is, uh, is cross-border financing from uh, from developed to uh, developing uh, economies, but a very small fraction, only two percent, uh, actually comes from from private from the private sector, and it's, it's based on private uh, projects. So this is uh, one of the areas where, where the, the biggest uh, uh, need for it. so. Developing economies, they they have been stressing the need for for more transfer, more funds from from mature economies. Uh, but uh, we definitely, in addition to that, we need uh, to mobilize private financing of uh, of infrastructure and mitigation of, of resilient infrastructure. And uh, and this this requires again uh, some some accommodative uh, framework uh, um, and uh, and also um, a, a pipeline of, of suitable projects. This will continue. Yeah, there is uh, there is obviously uh, there's momentum. There's there's interest from uh, for, uh, on the side of of investors um, also for that. But also um, these there's a lot of opportunity. A lot of these mitigation um, um, projects um, are economically beneficial. So there's there's a bigger return than the than the cost of it. Uh, retrofitting um, of uh, uh, you know, Hardening, uh, making new construction more resilient is uh, has, has the biggest yield, has the biggest benefit, uh, cost-benefit ratio. But even for retrofitting um, structures, buildings, there's a lot of opportunities with, uh, with which are economically beneficial. So uh, we strongly believe that this is something that uh, that will continue to grow and will will gain additional uh, or more interest in going forward. Well, Tom, it's looking ahead, and I, I know it's always hard to predict what the future holds, but do you expect a continued strengthening of macroeconomic resilience? And what trends, opportunities, or challenges might we see when it comes to global resilience over the next several months and as we move into the new year in 2024? Yeah, we actually do. I mean, we saw a lot of increase uh, in, uh, in the last year, and uh, we don't really expect for for this year or next year um, that uh, there is much more of uh, of an improvement um, um, in the, in the pipeline, and there's a, there's a, there's there's three main risks for for that, um, or factors that are headwinds. Yeah. And firstly, we saw with this uh, uh, the um, the rapid uh, increase of uh, of interest rates had at the same time uh, um, the, the flip side of the coin is, is a withdrawal of liquidity from the financial markets. And uh, so we, we saw f- um, f- market uh, liquidity risks uh, and, and um, f- financial system instabilities. And um, as a 
and this is a this is a headwind governments uh, need to um, to um, in intervene and for financial stability they are the um, that it wants that uh, through uh, e either through de de deposit guarantees or through other interventions um, step in and, and stabilize the financial system. Um, but this is something um, that um, meets uh, governments at, at elevated debt levels. And at the same time, uh, also it meets a global economy that is at the, at the verge of a slowdown. Um, Another headwind is, is that uh, uh, capital markets uh, are still very much dependent on uh, on the um, on central banks uh, uh, liquidity support, and uh, what's, uh, that's uh, particularly then the, the bond markets and the, the that segment of the capital markets. Um, while central banks have, have uh, raised interest rates and and we're um, getting. Uh, now they are they're, um, we are in a tightening mode, but we have we have come out of the the area or the era of uh, financial repression. Um, very little has been made in in terms of progress uh, in terms of reducing the balance sheets of central banks, and so this is uh, that's another um, vulnerability for uh, for the financial uh, system. And then uh, third. Uh, headwind comes um, from the inflation. Inflation shock is, is driving force behind all these um, um, monetary policy uh, measures of the, the past years. Um, the cost of living uh, crisis um, has uh, uh, in, uh, led many governments, and particularly in Europe, uh, to uh, to step in with with uh, policy measures to support uh, energy prices, caps, subsidies. Um, uh, and uh, a lot of this has uh, caused extra spending. Um, and um, at a time when um, um, uh, fiscal uh, policy should uh, to, to fight inflation, uh, fiscal spending of governments uh, should uh, be reined in. Uh, and so um, there's a there's a mix, uh, basically a, a miss a mismatch of policies uh, policy directions. Um, the governments are had, had increased spending uh, to support the households and uh, and, and to create uh, alleviate that pressure there, but this is uh, that's um, it's counterproductive uh, for fighting inflation. Uh, on the one hand, on the other is also again there's uh, government uh, debt and the fiscal position is is stressed, so there's also uh, it limits the the ability here uh, to. Um, yeah, increased and or react to to few to other potential risks to the economy. Well, Thomas, this has been so informative, so interesting. It's been a pleasure, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. For, thanks for having me. That was Thomas Holshui, Chief Economist Americas for Swiss Re Institute. For AMBS TV, I'm Lori Chortis. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.